And so we're sitting there on the little let out couch and the wind is just getting worse. And we're hearing all this debris hit the house and, and the wind. And all of a sudden I hear part of the roof on the other side of the house falling to the ground. And it's at 342 when I hear this crash, 342 in the morning. And I'm thinking, oh my God, we've lost part of our house. Our, part of our house has fallen down. And I begin to panic. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and the decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today I'm speaking with Monique Caradine, the founder of Overflow Enterprises and the podcast Sisternomics. Welcome, Monique. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really glad you're here too. So can you tell me a little bit about what Overflow Enterprises is? Overflow Enterprises is a personal development company, and we work primarily with women solopreneurs and women leaders and thought leaders, women who are writers, coaches, speakers. And basically what we do is we create coaching programs and media that help them understand how to create more money by doing what they love. And I just love, love, love this work because I get to work with brilliant women and also because I get to help them create new levels of wealth and a legacy of wealth that not only they can benefit from, but their families, their children, and their grandchildren as well. So it's truly amazing and rewarding work that I get to do. I've never heard the word solopreneurs before. Is that yours? It's not mine. I wish I could take credit for it. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that. And I guess it it would be a novel way of thinking about money and life and success for the people who come to you. Is that pretty accurate? It's really accurate. And in addition to that, it's also the idea that, you know, in order to, to build a successful business, you don't have to have a team of 10 people on a staff. It can just be primarily you. You know, and of course, I I do advocate that people have an assistant, a a VA or someone that can support them, maybe a couple of people. But I truly believe in the idea that as women, we can grow and build successful and profitable business with us as the primary person in that business. And what do you think in your experience thus far with your company has been the main obstacle for the women that you you finally coach into this new life? One of the main obstacles for the women that I get to coach is that because they're super smart and because they're resourceful and because they have become so used to doing everything, not only in their businesses, but oftentimes in their lives as well, that they typically wait too late to actually get support from a coach or a mentor, or a financial advisor when it comes to money matters. You know, most of the women that I work with are just like I was. You know, I started out feeling like, hey, I'm used to figuring things out because like they say, everything is figure outable. So I was the Mm -hmm. the queen of figuring everything out on my own. And at a certain point in my business, this was back in about 2007, 2008, I felt like I had hit a brick wall. And I felt like I had done all I could do to get my business where it was at that point. 
And, and I was what was a, your business at that point? So my business back then, I did some coaching back then, I, I guess more or less mentoring back then, but my specialty was media training and publicity. Mm-hmm. And so I worked with small businesses who needed videos done. This was before, you know, iPhones and all the other tools that we have today that would allow us to get videos done quickly and mm-hmm. easily. But back then I created that. I helped people get publicity on TV and radio, et cetera. And I had done all that I could do at that point. I had a great team and we were making money and it was awesome. But when the economy took a downturn, my business took a downturn as well, meaning my business revenues. Mm -hmm. And I was frustrated. And so for the first time ever in my life, I said, I've done all I can do. I need help. And that is when I reached out and hired a coach. And I went to one of the top personal development companies in the entire world. And I hired a coach. And that was a game changer for me because not only did that coach help me to make the shifts that I needed to get through that plateau, but she also inspired me to become a certified coach. And that's what really moved me into this arena that I'm in right now. So back to my initial point, you know, so often we wait too late to get someone to help us, but I'm a witness that when we do mm-hmm. partner with someone who is compassionate and knowledgeable and really understands how to help us break through those plateaus, and when we partner someone that can help us see our blind spots and help us to rewrite the money story so that it, that, that story can match the women that we are today, and someone that can really empower us and equip us to do the things that we need to do to break through any money plateau, no matter when it comes up in our lives, when we have the courage to do that, that changes everything. And that's exactly what happened for me. And do you feel that most people can change their money story? Everybody without question can change their money story. Most of the time you need help doing it, but absolutely because the money story is at the root of the experience that we have with money. In fact, it's not just about the money story. It's any story. You have a relationship story, right? You have a, mm-hmm. you have a self-worth story. You have a, anything that you want to identify as a challenge that may be coming up in your life. There is a story around that. And so when you recognize what the story is, number one, and where the story comes from, then you can say, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I understand why I'm reacting that way. Now I understand why I'm having this experience. Now I understand why I'm at this plateau. Once you understand all those things, then you can take steps to rewrite the story so that it matches the person that you are today. And do you have a money story in your childhood or your family of origin that is different from your current money story? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) My childhood money story was very interesting because I come from the South side of Chicago, raised by two amazing parents. They're still alive and together today. And I'm grateful for that. And they were both hardworking people, you know, but they both grew up in very difficult financial socioeconomic circumstances. In regard to my mom, you know, she grew up, her father was not around and her mother died very young. They lived Mm -hmm. in the projects on the South side of Chicago. She had 11 brothers and sisters. They all lived in a four bedroom apartment. And Mm -hmm. so in her experience, money was scarce. She basically lived in poverty, you know, just to put it bluntly. My father came from a working class family. His parents were together, but they still weren't rich, you know, so he Mm -hmm. had to work 
from a very, very young age to, you know, make sure his personal needs were met. And so you put those two money stories together, their money stories then impacted me. So I grew up seeing my parents, even though they worked hard, really, really having a the struggle with money, whereas I felt like there was never enough to do some of the things that I wanted to do, like go to sleepaway camp or have fancy clothes like my friends. And, and I always felt that I did not have a voice to be able to say, mom, dad, I want this or I need that because I just had the sense that money was scarce, right? And so you witnessed it, you witnessed it, and that was the feeling in the home. You just got that messaging. Yeah, I just got that messaging, you know. And so that started a story in my head that I can't ask for certain things. My parents are gonna work hard to provide for me, but you know, money is not flowing like that. So, and if I do want to see money flowing, then that means my parents are gonna have to work extra, extra, extra hard, which meant I didn't see them very much, and I didn't see my father much at all because he worked two and sometimes three jobs. So if you want to make money, the story was for me, you got to work your tail off for hours and hours and hours on end. And that never stops, right? And you don't just get rich. That's only for certain people. It's like you always have to be robbing Peter to pay Paul. So that was some of my programming. Mm -hmm. And so that programming, which started when I was about six or seven or eight years old, I think it was deeply embedded by the time I was eight years old. That followed me up until that point that I just described a few moments ago in 2008, where I had, you know, I had had this successful career in broadcasting, radio and TV and people in my hometown of Chicago, they recognized me and my, my name held credibility, but mm-hmm. my paycheck never matched up with my brilliance. My paycheck never matched <laughs> up with the credibility. You know, my paycheck never matched up with all the accolades that I received through the awards and recognition and so forth. And for years, I thought that it was because I was a black girl from the South side of Chicago, or, you know, maybe I just didn't run in the right circles or I didn't have the right connections, or maybe the fact that I worked for the small radio station was the reason why I didn't experience money at the level that I desired. But Mm -hmm. once I got this coaching, I recognized that those weren't the reasons at all for my money experience. The money experience that I was having when I was in broadcasting and later when I went on to start my own business that hit that plateau in 2007, the reason I was having that experience with money is because I was operating from the place of that little eight-year-old girl that felt the tension in the household when it was time for my parents to sit down and balance the checkbook. The reason I hit that plateau was because that eight-year-old girl remembers the tension and remembers how the stress around money would creep up when my mom would make an unplanned purchase after my father has spent hours balancing the checkbook. (laughs) My mom is way better with money today. Thankfully, she had to deal with some of her- How did she get better? (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah. Did she she learn from you or did she figure it out on her own? She figured it out on her own. I wish I could take credit for that, but she just (laughs) made a decision to become more responsible She probably Mm -hmm. still has some remnants of the old money story because that story doesn't go away until you get intentional, Ronit, about working on it. And so that's what I did with this coach. I'm telling you, it it, it created such a shift for me because I finally was able to say, and then I have to be honest, I went on and did more work and worked with another coach who specifically helped me around the money mindset. And that's what my certification is. My coaching certification is in money mindset. But I finally was able to 
let that little eight-year-old girl know that she has run the show long enough, right? <laughs> and that now the, you know, 40-something-year-old Monique is ready to take control of the program. And now my money story today is that I am brilliant. I am capable. I love what I do. And I am constantly generating increasing levels of income because of my brilliance, because of my gifts, because of my passion for working with other women. I am attracting increasing revenues and my brand is recognized in circles of women around this world. And I generate millions with ease and grace doing what I love without working hard. And that's my money story today. I feel like, and you can tell me if you see this too, there's almost a mystery about how to get money and how to have money Mm -hmm. and that some people have it and some people don't. And that's maybe contributed, you know, maybe that has to do with luck. Right. A lot of people think that it is luck and it's not. I've written a book called Mm -hmm. How to Embrace Your Inner Millionaire. (laughs) I love that. And I have to be honest, I have not hit seven figures in my business yet. That's what my podcast is all about. It follows me on my journey to get there, right? But I do understand how to embrace the inner millionaire because I believe that there is a millionaire inside of all of us. And once that inner millionaire is fully unleashed, then we start to have a whole way of being. And in that book, I talk about the fact that there are some truths about money, some truths about money that all of us need to understand. And until we understand those money truths, our money experience will not change. And one of those truths, I won't go into all of them, but one Mm. of those money truths is that we must all understand that money is not scarce. Money is flowing freely and abundantly throughout the world. And the way that we can tap into some of that abundance of that money substance is by really truly understanding money, understanding the power of generosity, understanding the power of gratitude, understanding the power of creating a space right now. If if you are experiencing a lack of money in your personal life, You have to check yourself. You have to look and see, am I really prepared to welcome money into my life experience? How do you do that? One way you do that is by saying, okay, let me go and look in my purse. This is for the ladies. Go and look in your purse and in your wallet. That's typically where we keep our money, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if your wallet is cluttered with old receipts and wrappers and expired credit cards and things that you don't use or things that you don't need, just cluttering up your wallet space, or maybe your wallet is a little itty bitty tiny wallet that's not big <laughs> enough for the stuff that you have anyway, right? <laughs> a little Hello Kitty wallet. A little Hello Kitty wallet. And here you are, you know, a, a grown, mature woman, and you're carrying a Hello Kitty wallet that can accommodate the wealth that you want to create create. Think about things like that. Money cannot thrive in an environment of clutter. It just won't. And so mm-hmm. you say you want more money. And when you say that, I'll, you know, for my clients, I'll say, okay, let me take a look at what's happening in your purse and in your wallet. And once I take a look in that purse and that wallet, I can instantly recognize that they've got to deal with some old money story, right? And we've got to rewrite the story (laughs) to make it match who we are today because money will not and cannot thrive 
in a chaotic or cluttered environment. So if you really want more money, I would challenge everyone listening right now to one of the first things you can do is invest in a lovely wallet. It doesn't have to be expensive, but invest in a nice wallet that's spacious and beautiful. And it gives you room to accommodate the money that you want to attract into your life. And also it is a representation of not who you are today, but who you want to be when it comes to your money. Yeah. And the spiritual component seems, and I don't mean necessarily religious. I'm just saying there seems to be a spiritual component, a mindset component to this work. Absolutely. There is. I operate deeply from a spiritual mindset and point of view because, okay, let me just say it like this. I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God. I know everybody you know, has different beliefs and I'm certainly not dogmatic about my beliefs and don't want to push anything on anyone. But where I come from, my way of thinking is looking at money from a biblical perspective. And the Bible talks a lot about mm-hmm. money. It tells us that Oh my goodness. It says so much that we are here to live abundant lives. We are here to live in overflow, which is by the way, where I got the name of my company. And the Bible speaks of, and not just the Bible, many other religious works talk about sowing, the law of planting and sowing, the laws of generosity. You know, these are not just biblical Christian laws. These are universal laws. generosity is huge. And that's a spiritual thing. When you can be generous to others, now I'm getting goosebumps. I have to tell you because I'm having an experience right now in my life, if I'm being completely honest with you, where there are some challenges. And so as I say this, it feels like I'm, I'm speaking to myself. I'm speaking to my own spirit. So my point is, is when you can be generous in the world, even when it feels like you're experiencing a money challenge or any other kind of challenge. When you can be generous in spite of that, you will get more than what you gave coming back into your life. So the example that I can give, a vivid example of that that I can give is this. If you take an apple and you slice it open, what you will see in the very core of that apple are seeds. Now, I'm a fan of the different apples that are available here where I live now on the island of Puerto Rico, sweet apples. And I love to cut open apples because I juice a lot of fruit. So I cut open the apples and I always see at least between five to seven seeds inside of an apple. And it's so cool to me because that one apple has five to seven seeds. Each of those seeds has the potential, if I plant it in the ground, to grow me an apple tree, a whole tree. Mm-hmm. And that apple tree is going to give me not one apple back, right? It's going to give me dozens upon dozens upon dozens. And if I treat that tree with love and care and nurture it, feed it, fertilize it, water it, that tree is going to give me apples and apples and apples for years and years and years and years to come. That one tree with all those dozens and dozens and hundreds of apples came from one seed out of one apple. And so that is proof of the universal law that once you plant something or sow something, just like I planted that apple seed, if I sow $5 into someone's life, I'm not just going to get $5 back. If I sow $100 into someone's life, I'm not just going to get $100 back. 
what I'm going to get back is going to be what I gave multiplied over and over and over again. Do you understand what I'm saying? I I really do. And when you went to that coach and you started learning this, I imagine some of this was new to you or something you hadn't felt before. How did you trust? How did you know this is the right path? What started to immediately change for you even before you mastered all the new thinking about money? Interesting. So it was as if I already knew it down in my soul, but the working with not just that one coach, but several coaches that I connected with, they confirmed it for me. And then the other thing that really revealed it to me is even before I started working with the coaches, I was just really intrigued about women in our relationship with money because we react to money differently than men do. So what I did when I was still working in radio is I, I started to independently seek out wealthy women. This is in the early days of Google when you could around the first time that you could actually go online and type somebody's name in or type in a subject and actually get like all these resources back at you. Mm-hmm. So I started to use Google. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm really dating myself with that information, but never, <laughs> but never. I'm right with you. I'm probably, I could date myself even older, I bet. So don't worry. <laughs> so, so anyway, I started to reach out to these women and, and just ask them if I could interview them. And these were women who were very successful in their business. They'd reached the top levels of, you know, whatever they were doing at that time. And I interviewed several millionaires. And time and time and time again, these women said to me the exact same thing. They said that they realized early on that, number one, they definitely needed support in order to get to where they were at that point, which is, again, very successful in their business, seven-figure businesses and whatnot. Number two, they had to have accountability in the form of a mastermind group or in the form of just accountability partners. And number three, they always said that they invested in themselves through coaching. In other words, they always had a coach because a coach is going to help you see your blind spots. Coach is going to be able to see the stuff that you can't see. Yeah, And those were the common threads. They had a coach and they always, they worked with their coach, not only just to work on their mindset, but that coach also helped them to sit down and do some basic things in their business, like planning. You know, a lot of times entrepreneurs and solopreneurs, we react, we're in reaction mode constantly, right? It's day to day for us. But these mm-hmm. women said that they would sit down six months, sometimes a year, sometimes 18 months to plan for the year ahead. So for instance, like right now, these same women already know what they're going to be doing two years from now, some of them. And so mm-hmm. they they planned, they were very strategic about everything that they did. They made sure that they made strategic connections They were just really, really, really smart about what they did, and they didn't allow their emotions to take over the way that they were able to put their emotions in check. Not that you don't feel, because that's who we are naturally as women. We feel. We're emotional. But the thing that allows your business to run smoothly is you have systems and processes in place. So no matter how you feel on a given day, as long as you got those systems in place, those systems are going to run your business so that your emotions don't. Which is an interesting 
segue to what you experienced with the hurricane Mm -hmm. on your island, because you have this system in place for your life. And what happens when something entirely unexpected and extremely impactful hits your life, right? Yeah. And your systems. Can you talk a little bit about moving to Puerto Rico and what happened there for you with Hurricane Maria? Sure, absolutely. So I mentioned that I'm originally from Chicago, born and raised South Side, and love Chicago to this day. But in 2014, my family and I made a decision to sell our home and give everything away. And we moved to the beautiful island of Puerto Rico. It was scary at first, obviously, because I was set up pretty good in Chicago in terms of my network, you know, and my mm-hmm. visibility and name recognition. So, you know, doors opened when they heard my name. And so we were faced with this opportunity to move. And I'm like, okay, I'm leaving all this behind. That's a little bit scary, but hey, let's go for it, right? So Mm -hmm. we moved and it was an opportunity for my husband to reconnect to his Puerto Rican roots. He's half Puerto Rican. And it was also an opportunity for my son to grow up in a safer environment. And really it was an opportunity for me too, to establish overflow and to host retreats in this beautiful island where people could come and just be transformed. Right. So we were really excited and everything was going great. But on September 20th, 2017, everything changed. And everything changed because Hurricane Maria came and devastated the island. And I remember that day, just like it was yesterday. And I remember it down to the hours. Like I remember that at around 8.30, the the night before the storm actually hit, we could hear the wind outside and it was starting to pick up and the rain had started to come. This was around eight, eight o'clock PM on September the 19th. And I remember- And what was the feeling if it, with the people you knew having had experiences with hurricanes before? Was this one, did this one seem extremely dangerous at the time or did it seem like a possible false alarm? Well- No, this one did seem dangerous because we had been through several threats and several scares in previous years leading up to this one. But a friend of ours who is a mariner who and he watches the weather very closely because he has to because he works you know on boats and stuff. Mm -hmm. He contacted my husband. I was out of town actually, and he said, We got one coming and it looks like it's gonna be a big one. So because we own boats, you know, we made, took actions to get the boats out of the water, get them, you know, to safety so that they wouldn't be damaged or destroyed and whatnot. And this storm came out of nowhere. It was very unexpected. It was very fast moving. And so he did warn us and he said, this one doesn't look too good. And so we were on high alert. And as we prepared, we, you know, removed all of our outdoor furniture and stored it away in an area that we thought was safe. (laughs) And we stocked Mm -hmm. up on food and stocked up on supplies and gassed up the cars and, you know, had cash on hand and and all of those things and, and made sure we had gas in our generator so that we could at least have power because we figured we may be out, out of power for a day or two, right? And so the night the storm came, everybody was hunkered down. And I remember watching the news and I remember hearing the weatherman on the news tell 
the audience, the viewers, pray for Puerto Rico. And I don't know if I had really grasped the severity of this storm, but when I heard a weatherman say, pray for Puerto Rico, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So I'm making tacos that night and around 8.30 as the rain was coming and the wind started to blow, the power went out. But I wanted to make tacos still because I wanted my son to feel like everything is going to be okay. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I remember that was the last I saw the news because 8.30 the power went out, which meant the cable was out. So our generator was giving us power, finished making the tacos. We didn't have any TV or anything and the winds were starting to pick up. So we went to bed at around 10 p.m. The wind is continuing to accelerate, accelerate. Mm -hmm. And I remember at about 1.04 a.m., my cell phone rang and it was my mother. And she was able to see that what was happening on the news, but we didn't have power or cable. So we didn't know what was happening. And my mom just said, I'm just calling to check and make sure you guys are okay. She sounded really worried. And I said, right now, mom, we're fine. We're all asleep. I'll call you as soon as I can. And while I was talking to her, we lost phone service. Like I heard the, the phone going staticky. She was trying to still talk a little bit and say, God bless you or pray for me or whatever. And the phone got mm-hmm. staticky and it died. That was at 1.04 a.m. At 2 a.m., this is when the wind is pounding and the rain is pounding. And I decided that it was time for us to begin to move into our shelter place, which was the the walk-in closet in the master bedroom. So I decided to go into the shelter because I'm like, this thing is picking up and I don't know what's going to happen. And I had my son come in there. We had water and soft drinks and books in there and some pillows and stuff. And and we were just waiting it out and it continued to intensify. By 3 a.m., the balcony doors on the master bedroom were starting to buckle and give way. And we felt that it was in our best interest to evacuate that bedroom, even though that's where we thought it was going to be our safe place. But the doors were about to allow the hurricane to come into our room. So we had to evacuate that room. And we did so quickly because the wind was aggressive at that point. We evacuated that room. And it's and we, dark, right? I it's, mean, it's like totally dark. There's no one around but you. You can't see a thing. It's two o'clock in the morning. There's no place you, you can't go outside. You can't, at this point, you can't go to a shelter because the winds at this point were probably 85 to 90, maybe even a hundred miles an hour. And it was just getting started. So we evacuate mm-hmm. the master bedroom. We walk down the hall to another bedroom, which was the room that my, my late mother-in-law used when she was alive. She had passed away a couple of years prior to that. So we go into her room and we are like, okay, we'll be safe here. And so we're sitting there on the little let out couch and the wind is just getting worse. And we're hearing all this debris hit the house and and the wind. And all of a sudden I hear part of the roof on the other side of the house falling to the ground. And it's at 3.42 when I hear this crash, 3.42 in the morning. And I'm thinking, oh my God, we've lost part of our house. Part of our house has fallen down. And I begin to panic. And I'm just saying to myself, you know, I told you I believe in God. And at this point I'm calling on the Lord. I'm like, oh my God. The first thing I wanted to do when I heard that crash is to grab my son and run. But where can you go when winds are like 150 miles an hour at this point? Mm. So I'm frightened. My husband and son, they were pretty calm, you know, and I was grateful for that. But I'm in panic mode because I'm like, I need to protect my family. And really right now there's nothing I can do. 
And so I'm looking through my mother-in-law's drawers because again, we were in the room that she previously used. And I'm like, I know she's got a devotional, a Bible or something in this room. And I'll go through the drawers and sure enough, I found her Bible. And in the Bible, I open it up. She had written some notes from the last time she went to church with us before she passed away. And I'm like, let me just read what she wrote on these notes because I need to hear a word from God to know that my family is going to be okay. I mean, because this storm was violent. It was vicious. And when I heard that crash, I was traumatized. So I started to read her scriptures and I read the first one and, and then I read the second one and then I read the third one. And the third one came from the book of Luke, chapter six, verse 46. And I'll never forget this for as long as I live. That scripture said, if a man builds his house on a rock, and I'm paraphrasing this, by the way, mm-hmm. it said, if a man builds his house on a rock, the storms will come and the floods will rise, but his house will not fall down. And it was in that moment that I finally felt like as the storm was just raging outside, I felt an assurance that at least I still didn't know what was going to happen, but at Mm. least our house would not fall. And that gave me a little bit of comfort. Now, the storm continued on for many, many, many hours. And we eventually had to evacuate that room that we were in because it started to take on water. So we spent the next several hours trying to get the water out of the house by sweeping it into a dustpan and pouring it down the shower drain. It was the most incredible, (laughs) unbelievable experience, Ronit, that I've ever had in my entire life. But one thing I learned, this is what I learned, because eventually by about 11 a.m. that day, things finally start to settle down. And that big crash that I heard at about 3 a.m., Fortunately, it was just the tiles of the roof falling off. If any any of your listeners are familiar with the way most homes are built in Puerto Rico, we have these terracotta tiles on the roofs and uh, the wind was so strong that it took like 25% of those tiles off of our house and they fell right to the ground. So that was the crash I heard, but that did not compromise the integrity of the roof itself. We were lucky. Many, many, many other people in my neighborhood lost their roofs, lost their doors, lost windows. They literally had the hurricane in their homes. And it was just incredible. So the one thing that I learned, two things I learned actually, Ronit, is that in the midst of that storm, I learned that every storm has a beginning and every storm has an end. And it is in the midst of that storm that you find out who you are, right? Are you faithful? Mm-hmm. Are you going to rest in the midst of a storm and and in your creator that you are protected, that you're going to come out of this thing okay? And I'm not just talking about hurricane storms. I'm, about, I'm talking about any storm in your life. There's a beginning and an end, and you're going to find out who you really are in the midst of that storm. But in the aftermath of the storm is when you find out who you can become. And the person that I became once that storm was over was a person that was forever changed because the storm was so devastating that people didn't have anything. They didn't have water. They didn't have food for their kids. They did. If you didn't have gas in your car, 
you would have to wait in a line to get limited amounts of gas for up to four hours because that storm knocked out power. It knocked out phone service. It knocked out internet, not just for a couple of days. We were without power in my neighborhood for five months. Others in the surrounding communities, some went without power for nine to 12 months, not days, not weeks, months. And so, so what did they do? I mean, what do you do in a situation like that? You find out, like I said, who exactly you are and who you can become. You become resourceful. But this is the thing that I also learned because we were able to go throughout the community in for a 40 mile radius from my neighborhood. And we provided people with water because what I didn't mention earlier is that Hurricane Irma hit the Caribbean two weeks before Maria came. And so because Irma impacted many of our friends in the Southern Caribbean, we had stockpiled a whole lot of water, cases and cases, hundreds of cases of water, because we were going to take that to our friends. But then Mm -hmm. Hurricane Maria came and all that water that we had stockpiled, guess what? We were able to help out our family here in Puerto Rico, our neighbors, people outside of our community, even if we only gave them two or three bottles of water just to hold them over. So I went for an entire year because my business crumbled under the weight of that hurricane. I had no internet for months, so I couldn't do my work. So what did I do? I went door to door, house to house, block to block, community to community with several friends of mine and members of my church. And we gave them water, food, basic supplies, rubbing alcohol in case they got a cut, band-aids, basic medical supplies, gift certificates to get gas, whatever we had to give for an entire year, we went neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood, making sure that we could touch and reach as many people as possible and make sure that they had what they could need. Now, as as things progressed and it started to get easier to get water and food and whatnot, we then started to help people through my church and the generous members of my church, we started to help them replace their appliances that were ruined in the storm, their stoves, refrigerators, the beds that had gotten wet as the storm took their roofs off their homes. And so it was a life-changing experience. But again, it was in the aftermath of the storm. In the midst of the storm was scary as heck, but it was in the aftermath of the storm that I became really honestly a new person and realized the power of generosity And really that experience equipped me to go through any storm, specifically the storm that I'm currently facing right now. It's just a storm. And like I said earlier, it has a beginning and an end. But that Hurricane Maria prepared me for any challenge that this earthly experience has for me. I'm ready for it. Do you feel that you were not generous or not as generous before the storm? I was definitely generous. I've always been generous for as long as I can remember. But what that storm did for me is it took away my tendency to be judgmental because in order to walk into some of these houses that I went into, literally you had to strip away a whole layer of your ego if that makes any sense. You cannot Mm -hmm. judge. You cannot have any 
preconceived notions about people. You cannot question, well, why do they live this way? Or why didn't they do this to prepare? All of that is stripped away because none of that can exist if you are literally going to sometimes have to get down on your hands and knees to help people. And that's what it did for me. I was always generous, but the the, the judgmental side of me died in that year. Mm. If there were any lazy bones in my body, which there weren't many because I've always been the, the person that gets up to go, but all of that went away. The judgment went away. The wait, I'll do it later went away. You know, people needed things right now, today. And that's what really changed in me. Do you feel that the people you visited and helped or the people in your neighborhood or bigger community have mostly bounced back? And and I also mean mentally and, and emotionally. Do you think that there's recovery now or have some people been impacted in a way that you feel will be permanent? Yeah, I think that most of the people have bounced back. The losses were great. Some people lost their homes. Some people had to move away from the island because it was just a very, very, very difficult time. I don't think anybody really realizes how difficult that was because once the story fades out of the news, then people who weren't in the midst of that storm, they go on with their lives, posting their lunch on Facebook, you know, <laughs> you know, but meanwhile. Yeah. We're, and that's fast. That's like a very fast turnaround for people to start thinking everything is fine now. Yeah. It took a very long time. People who decided to stay here have mostly recovered, but they lost a lot. You know, mm-hmm. are they back working? Yes. Are they, you know, able to go to the grocery store now and buy food? Yes. Do they have to wait in three hour lines to get gas? No. But the post-traumatic stress caused by that storm is something that we won't soon overcome. You move on, obviously. But now whenever they say there's a storm coming our way, you hunker down, you you dig your heels in and you do things to prepare now that you didn't do before because you know that you don't want to be caught unable to get the basic necessities that your family needs because there's no going to the store using your debit card, Ronit. You can't do it. There's no yeah, internet. And so you better have you some cash, not just a little bit of cash, a lot of it. You have to have a generator because so many people, so many homes that I went to had no generator, nothing. So when I say they didn't have power, they did not have power. When the sun went down, that's it for light. If you had- Was it dangerous? Was it dangerous in terms of other people? Yes, it was very dangerous. We had gas stations because gas was such a commodity. We had armed military, heavily armed military standing, guarding gas stations to prevent those gas stations from being held up or robbed or whatever. The traffic lights didn't work. So driving was a hazard on a daily basis. You know, it just was unbelievable. But the people here in Puerto Rico are so resilient. And I tell you one thing I learned too, is that we would walk into the worst situations to go and give somebody some bread or just a hot meal. And the people would smile at you and say, God bless you and hug you and thank you. They didn't look defeated. They didn't look traumatized. They would greet you with a smile and say, Dios te bendiga, which is God bless you in Spanish. Gracias. 
you know, it just was incredible. It was a year that changed my life. I really need to write a book on this. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe you should. Did your son, how old is your son now? My son is 16 years old now. And and so does he does he have fear around the storm or the memories or did he get it? Did he understand yeah. the severity? Yes, he did. He really did. And he was out there volunteering. We had, because most people didn't have any running water, there was a mm-hmm. water tanker, a big truck that would hold thousands of gallons of water that would come and bring water to the community so people could have drinking water and water to clean and whatnot. You couldn't even flush your toilets, you know, because there was no wow. no pumps to run the water. So my son would l- regularly volunteer at the water truck to dispense the water and uh, would always help me get things packed up to take out to the people and all of us were changed by that experience. And and for that, I'm grateful. It made us, it was difficult. It was hard as hell. I ain't going to even lie, but mm. it changed us for the better. I wouldn't want to experience that again. I wouldn't wish that experience on my worst enemy, but it did change us. We survived it. We are forever grateful. The people that I met, I will never, ever forget. And now I know how to get through a storm. I didn't I didn't know how to do that before. Now I have a new skill set. <laughs> Which is it's interesting because you seem like a resilient and um you have ingenuity and you have grit mm. from everything you've been telling me, but the storm still really tripped you up. It really yeah, it changed you and affected it, you. It it did. It it required a new level of me. It it I'll never forget when I woke up the next day after the storm and and I was hoping that it was just like a dream, like a nightmare. Because the next mm-hmm. day just so happened to be my birthday. So I, oh, <laughs> I woke up mm-hmm. and I looked out of my window, Ronit, and every single leaf from every single tree was snatched off by that storm. Not to mention the trees that didn't survive the storm. I mean, many trees just got knocked down. But when you look out of your window and you don't see any leaves on the trees, it was the most unreal vision to have, you know, I live in paradise, you know, it's hot here all around. We, we always have beautiful greenery, but I woke up the next day and I was, I was hoping it was a dream when I realized that it wasn't, I said, okay, let me get up because we got to start cleaning up the mess that our house had become. And I looked outside and I look at this war zone. It looked like a bomb had went off. It's a vision that you can never, you can't get rid of it. And it's like, how are we going to recover from this? You don't know the answer at that point, but I tell you what, day by day, we did what we could. And now the, the trees are back. We got a few few less trees, obviously, but uh, it's beautiful and green again. And people are smiling and, and we're all a lot more compassionate and thoughtful toward one another. Are you going to stay in Puerto Rico? For the foreseeable future, yes. I do like it here a lot. As my son gets ready for college, I kind of would like to be a little closer to the States wherever he decides to go. But for now, we do plan to stay. Yeah. And uh, you've referenced a storm you're going through right now. You've mentioned it several times. And um, is that something that you would share? You know, I feel like I'm not ready to to really share the details of it, you know, because it's always hard to talk about a storm when you're in it. But it's what I will say about it is this. And then I learned this from Hurricane Maria. I know that this storm has a beginning and an end. And I think the end of it is closer than I think. And it's challenged me in many ways. And I've already learned, it's challenged my whole family. 
And we've already learned many, many things from this. And what we also know is that when you are a good person, when you are a righteous person, when you are a person who plants good seed, you know, storms are going to come, especially when you're a good person, because the storms are designed to what? Challenge who you are at your core. And so what I know about this storm is that it's not going to make me compromise what I believe about God, what I believe about my future, our future. It does not compromise how great God is, in my opinion. It does not make me say, woe is me. It doesn't even really make me feel worried or afraid. It makes me dig my heels into my faith because let's face it, you're either going to worry or you're going to have faith. You can't do both at the same time. Like they just don't Mm -hmm. peacefully coexist. And so I have decided to walk in faith. I have decided that whenever this storm is over, my husband and I will be stronger. We will be better. We will be smarter. We will be wiser. We will be just ready for what our next level is, whatever that may be. And that's what I know. So I think that's the most important thing. The details about what the storm is and what's happening, none of that's really important. What's important is, is that we're going to get through it and we're going to be better for it. We'll definitely have in the show notes your links and resources. Is there, mm-hmm. Are there a couple that you want to share just right now on the air? Sure. I'll share the Sisternomics podcast. People can go to sisternomics.com. The podcast is more than just about money. It's about, you know, the mindset shifts that we all need to make, myself included, to get to our money goal. And once we get to that money goal, it's not just reaching a money goal for the sake of having more money. It's reaching that goal because when we have money, we have freedom. And when we have freedom, we can not only get our children set up and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and through our legacy of wealth, but we can also do amazing things in this world. We can support organizations that we believe in. We can go out house to house, door to door, block to block and feed people. We can send kids to college debt free. We can pay our parents mortgage. We can do incredible work around the world when we live in overflow. And that's what Sisternomics at its core is really all about. So you can go to Sisternomics.com. I'm on a journey to get my business revenues to seven figures. So Sisternomics is kind of my accountability platform. Mm. But I also have some brilliant minds that join me regularly on the show to talk about how we can grow our money and build our wealth. I am really glad that we connected and you were able to spend this time with me. It's been really great to talk with you and hear about the experience that you've been living. Yes. Thank you so much for this opportunity to get it all out. I feel like this was a great therapy session for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like you just inspired me. So I guess we both got something great out of it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more information on this episode, photos, community discussion, and other episodes, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.